this is Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. And this is God's promise to his first kind of servant that would then establish the nation of Israel and eventually the church. And that is Abraham. And God is speaking to Abraham. So this is God's plan for his people. This is God's plan for you. This is God's plan for us. And it says this. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. So what God is saying is, Abraham, this isn't just for you. It's also for the next generation that's going to come after you. So I want you to know that right off the bat. God does not just have a plan for you. He does have a plan for your children. And he has a plan for your future generations that are going to come from your life. And so he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. But here's the whole reason. And you will be a blessing. Um, I want to say this, that God does the first part, but then we have to respond, right? So God said, I'll bless you. I'll make you a great nation. Um, I'm going to make your name great. That's what God does. But then God says, but now here's your part and you. God can't make you be a blessing. You have to decide to be a blessing and you will be a blessing. I want to tell you there's something powerful about generosity, something powerful about not just receiving, not just taking in, but now being a flowing river of God's blessing where I, I would say this, and the great Tommy Barnett would always say this, God, uh, he said, if, if God can get money through you, he'll make sure to get money to you. <laughs> and if God can trust you. You're going to be a blessing. He'll make sure that you stay blessed. Because quite frankly, he doesn't have enough generous kids. And so if he knows you're going to be generous, he's going to make sure. If he can get it through you, he's going to get it to you. I promise you. And I know it doesn't make sense in the natural. How does tithing work? How does that make sense? How does, how does 90% become more than enough? I, I don't know. That's just Bible numbers never make sense. God said one will send 1,000 to fight, but two, it won't send 2,000. It will send 10,000. I don't understand how it works. Somehow 90% in God's hand can go a lot further than 100% in our hands. Again, I don't, I don't know how it all works. I just know it works because it's the kingdom. It's faith. It's the plan of God for you. It's the plan of God for me. So I want to encourage you in your tithes and offerings. Go ahead and get that ready. Let me pray for you as you prepare it. Father, thank you for every generous giver. I pray you bless them. And I pray that they would then take that responsibility and be a blessing in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the Bible says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. This is not just a wedding verse. It is definitely not a romance verse. This is a life verse. Uh, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now we're going to look at kind of a corresponding proverb written by a man named Gordon Livingston who said this, in order to be happy, you need something to do. God would call that faith. You need someone to love. That's called love. And you need something to look forward to. That's called hope. So Dr. Livingston, not even a Christian, had no idea that he was defining happiness right out of the scriptures. And so we're in a series of talks called, I Just Want to Be Happy. Today we're going to talk about something to do. We're going to talk about faith. Everyone say faith.
Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now. I thank you for faith. I thank you that faith pleases God. I thank you today that you would release a spirit of faith, a gift of faith upon this church. I'm, I'm really believing, Lord, that from this week forward, we're just never going to be the same. I thank you for the power of impartation, that the anointing is tangible and it's transferable. And I just pray for a release of faith in our church. In the name of Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, can I get one big amen? amen. And you don't have to say amen again unless you want to. Uh, last week we talked about happiness and we all want it. We all want more of it. Most of us believe that we deserve it. It's actually in our nation's DNA, right? We talked about this last week. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we're on this pursuit. We're on this journey. And we're looking for something and yet it's really elusive to most of us because I talked last week about the, the lie of more. If I just had more, I'd be happy. I talked about the land of Ur, right? I, I would be happier if my house was bigger, if my car was faster, if, if my TV was better, if my husband was sexier, okay, whatever, whatever it might be. If, 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 if my kids acted better, whatever, whatever er is, we all have this er, we all have this more lie. And I call it a lie because, because I truly do believe that we think if we can get this set of things, then we'll be happy. And then you find out that you fulfill the American dream only to find out that it's a nightmare. And it's not a nightmare because it's a bad dream. It's a nightmare because it isn't founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's founded on possessions. And so whenever you get a lot of possessions and you don't submit those things to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, usually your possessions will possess you. And so you end up with a bunch of stuff, but you're not really happy. Sociologists tell us that right now the rising rate of, of depression in America, the fastest growing rate of depression in America is the white middle-aged middle-class man because we got money and we got our house we got our 401k and we got our stuff and yet we're all alone and we don't know what to do with our lives we we fulfilled the dream and yet we still are looking for significance so what God offers us is not just blessing and I believe in blessing I believe that God wants to take care of you. I believe that you can live in a safe home, in a safe neighborhood. You can drive a safe, beautiful car that isn't held together by Christian bumper stickers. <laughs> Overflow, you know, as you're just praying to get to work. No, I believe God has a good life for you. I believe that uh, God wants to bless you in such a way that you can bless. So please don't get me wrong. Get married and you can send your kids to college. I believe in all that. So please don't get me wrong. As long as that isn't now your definition of joy and happiness. There's, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something bigger. And that, that, I believe that, that thing that you're really looking for is not things, it's not stuff, but it's significance. Significance. So 20 a million Americans admit they're depressed. One in eight Americans are alcoholics. 21 million Americans are drug abusers. I don't believe that this proves that we're a terrible nation. I believe it proves that we are a nation that is unhappy, unfulfilled, and looking for life in all the wrong places. So today I want to talk about something to do because I believe that a key 
for your life, your fulfillment, your purpose, and your joy, your happiness is faith. Living a life of faith. Living the great adventure, walking with Jesus. So today I want to talk about something to do. And here's my first point. It's going to help you. Something to do does not mean busy. <laughs> busy. We love this word. How are you doing? Busy. <laughs> I didn't ask if you were busy. I asked how were you. I was just busy. How's 2018? Busy, man. Oh, it's busy. Woo, busy. As if somehow that makes us more spiritual. You know, the older generation thought that if you were poor, you were spiritual. And this generation thinks if you're busy, you're spiritual. You know, if you're just huffing and puffing and frantic and wired and, and tired and crazy and oh, I'm just, oh, I'm busy. Huh? We pride ourselves on busy. The Bible actually warns of being a busy body. Being someone that looks the part of busy but actually is doing no eternal significant thing. When I'm talking about something to do, when I'm talking about the life of faith, I'm talking about more than busy. Activity does not promise progress. Oh, come on, help me preach a little bit now. Just because you're moving don't mean it's significant. And just because you don't know where the day went doesn't mean that you did anything great for God. When I'm talking about something to do, I'm talking about activity that is Holy Spirit-led, I'm talking about purposeful activity. I'm talking about eternal activity. I'm talking about doing something every day that requires faith, that is led by the Holy Spirit, and that brings you into a life of significance and purpose. Am I making sense to anybody? So if you grew up in church, you've definitely heard this scripture. Even if you didn't grow up in church, a lot of you have heard this. James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. But hear me, friend. Not only is faith without works dead, works without faith is also dead. Just because you're busy doesn't mean it's doing anything for you or for others around you. What I want to get you to a place of is faith and works where you're, where you're living a life of faith and doing something that brings true kingdom impact to the earth and bring significance to your own life. So I'm not just working in the flesh, I'm working in faith and I'm bringing the kingdom of God to the earth as it is in heaven. And here's my challenge, connect what you already do to the kingdom of God. Connect what you already do. What do you do right now? Well, I wake up and I got to go to work and and I, and I got to do this, and I got to take the kids to school, and then I got to take the kids to sport, and then I got to do that, and I got to, okay, connect it to the kingdom. Because if you'll connect what you're currently doing to the kingdom, the mundane will now become supernatural. So I'm not just going to work, I'm a light at work. I'm not just registry makers generation of history makers I don't know if my son is going to be the next Billy Graham or the next Dr. King I don't know I don't know if I got a preacher in my house I don't know if I have a if I have a doctor in my house that's going to find the cure for cancer I don't know if I have a daughter that's going to, that's going to be raised up to preach the gospel around the world I don't know so I'm not just going to raise a kid and make sure they're fed and make sure they don't die I want to bring significance to their life. 
Come on, isn't that what we do? Johnny, make sure you look both ways. Don't get run over. Don't go in the van. You know, I mean, it's like, and we train our kids to live a safe life. Why don't we look at our little kids and go, you're going to change the world today. You're going to help somebody today. You're going to serve somebody today. The anointing of God is on you. The power of God's on you. Something good's going to happen in your life. You're going to change the world. I don't want to live safe. I want to live with purpose. So whether you're making money, parenting, gifts, talents, skills, use it for the glory of God. Your purpose is not only found in what you want to do someday. It's found in what you're doing today. See, we, we love the destination, but we don't like the journey. And yet our God is the God of the journey. If you want to go to Disneyland and you get on the 15 north, you ain't going to Disneyland. The journey's important. The journey is just as important as the destination because it decides when you get to the destination, how you get to the destination, and who you will be when you get to your destination. And so we have a whole bunch of Christians waiting on destiny, and they hate journey, but God is the God of the journey. God is the God that will walk you through the valley, walk with you on the mountaintop. God is not nearly right now because out there as he is about right here, right now, because God's trying to do something in you before he ever does anything through you. But we, but we tell ourselves, oh, well, I'm going to tithe when. A preacher love these tithe talks. Powerful, right from the word of God. So when I make more money, I'm going to tithe. No, you're not. Because when you make more money and you got more zeros in your bank account, it's going to be harder to tithe. I thank God I tithed at $200 a week. I thank God. First church that ever hired me. Offered me two, and I was so dumb. I didn't, you know, the, the pastor goes, we want to pay you $200 a week. I said, I'll take it. He goes, really? <laughs> he couldn't believe that I would say yes. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, uh, I said yeah, yeah, you know, so I'm fire for God. I tithe off 200 bucks a week. Now it's easy to live a generous life now because I've been doing it for so long. <laughs> well, I'll serve when? When? When I got more time. No, you're, see, you're too busy. Well, I'll go to a small group. Wait, no, no, no. Well, I'll help people when? Like if I have Bill Gates money, I'll help people. Why don't you stop talking about that day and figure out what you can do today? So, so, so right now, it, our church doesn't have a ton of money, but we do what we can do. So we give a few hundred dollars a month to Teen Challenge. Wish it was thousands, but it's hundreds because that's what we can do. And that, it was awesome last week. 18 of those guys walked into Easter service last week. And, I mean, it was amazing. They were the best-dressed crew. I don't know if you saw that. You know, they're all in their ties. And we're helping those guys get off drugs. And we're helping those guys get back on their feet. Do I wish we could get thousands? Yeah, but we can't. But that's what we can do. We're, we, we give to an organization that helps uh, young women who find themselves pregnant. They don't know what to do. I want to help them. I'm not anti-women who've had abortions. I'm not anti, I'm not, I'm not anti-anything, but I am pro-life. So don't get political with me, okay? Don't trip. Don't get uncomfortable. But Planned Parenthood has plenty of money from the government. But there's organization, man, it got quiet in here, okay. 
But there's organizations that just want to tell a young girl, there are other options. It doesn't will adopt your baby. It's not over. It doesn't have to end this way. You can make it. We can help you. So we give to that organization. Does that make sense? I'm not, there's no hate in my heart. So we give. I wish, and I wish we could give more, but we can't give more yet, but we can give what we can give. We give to an organization called A21, Christine Kane. We, we help people get out of human trafficking. Now, I have a friend in Chicago who said, man, we were so pumped. This year, we gave A21 $250,000. It's amazing. I, I, we can't even come close, but we can give $250. $250, that's it. That's where it ends. But we can give something. And I believe that as we do what we can do on the journey, God's going to make our lives bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I believe one day I will be able to stand before you and say, we gave 250000 821. We gave a million dollars to Teen Challenge. We gave. I can't wait for that day, but I'm not waiting for that day. But I'm not waiting for that day because if you wait for that day, that day will never come, friend. So you got to do what you can do today. Connect what you're doing to purpose. Imagine if the little boy would have went to Jesus and said, yo, man, you got to feed 20,000 people. And I just got some bread and fish. Jesus, wait. I'm going to go start a multi-billion dollar fishing company. I'm going to get all the fish and bread you need. I'll be back in a few years. No. The little boy gave Jesus his not enough. But in the hands of Jesus, it's always more than enough. And if you'll just surrender, you're not enough to Jesus. Jesus can take your not enough, make it more than enough. It's never enough. In the natural. But it's always more than enough in the spirit. This is faith. I'm preaching faith. Number two. Happy does not mean cozy. We love cozy. We love comfort. We love cozy so much, we buy, some of y'all own beer koozies. Just to make sure your beer is cozy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And for my Pentecostals, it's a Coke koozie. Amen. Just keep your Coke cold. I took my dog, on, dog in the other day to, to get, uh, you know, groomed. And they sell socks for dogs. Socks, socks. Like you, your dog needs to be comfortable. You got to have socks for the dogs now. This is happening, friends. Welcome to America 2018. We just want to be comfortable. So we buy the most comfortable chair we can find and the most comfortable bed. And we go buy the most comfortable blankets and pillows. And we love comfort food. And like you never go and like, I'll take the boiled piece of chicken. No, I want it fried. So we love it. I'm, I've got nothing against your comfort, but the life of faith is not a cozy life, friend. And happy doesn't mean cozy. I think cozy and comfort is overrated. Look at this. This is Matthew 10, verse 34. Don't think I've come to make life cozy. <laughs> Yo, that's in the Bible. That's, that's Jesus. Don't think I've come to make life cozy. Look what he goes on to say. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. Huh. 
But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. In other words, you'll find the kingdom and your purpose. But we got a whole bunch of people trying to find themselves. What are you doing? I'm just going to Europe for three months. I'm just, I'm just going to Europe. I'm just trying to find myself. I'm just on a journey. Get off the journey. Get off the road, friend. If you go looking for yourself, you're going to miss yourself and God. But if you'll give yourself to the kingdom, you'll end up finding God and yourself. I feel pretty confident about who I am. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> I feel pretty confident about who I am. And it's not because I went on a journey of self-discovery. It's because I went on a journey of God-discovery. And when you seek God, God finds you. And when you seek God, God will tell you who you are. Never confuse comfort with happiness. Comfort and cozy, they're overrated, friend. And most of the time, comfort and purpose, they don't go together. There's very few times on the journey that you're comfortable and you're in your purpose. That, that marriage usually doesn't happen until the end of your life. Friend, the comfort zone will steal God's best. Here, here's a big thought. Your purpose is always outside of your comfort zone. Just leave that up for a second. Here, look, here's your purpose. And this is joining a small group. <laughs> and you've got you've to get out of that thing. Yeah, but i got to go into a house and, and, and I don't know anybody. And are they going to make me take my shoes off? I don't know. Wear clean socks. But you've got to get there. <laughs> Come on. Is, right? They had food, but do they wash their hands? I don't know. You, but you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. I saw a cat. Was it crawling on the... I don't know. Just get out of your comfort zone. Don't eat the food. Drink the water. But just... Well, well I know I should serve, but, but what are people... You got to get out of the comfort zone, friend, because your purpose is on the other side. And of course, it's not always comfortable. But once you break the ice, you're in. Well, there's, there's, I don't want to go to a small group. It's strangers. They're strangers for the first minute. And then they're just strange. Amen. Just like you, right? Like, but you got in. You got to break the ice. You got to break through because your purpose is always outside of your comfort zone. And I love that even purpose is bigger than comfort zone. Because all life, all, I don't want to live a small life. I want to live a big life. Big impact. But I'm going to have to leave my comfort zone. Hear me. I want us to be comforted by Christ. And uncomfortable for Christ. I want you to leave that up for a second. I want us to be comforted by Christ. You know what I want? I want every Sunday, I want the Holy Spirit to move in this place. I want the fire of God to fall in this place. I want the anointing of the Holy Ghost to just saturate this room. I want people to be healed and delivered and set free. I want people to be able to worship in freedom. And if that means you sit down, you sit down. But if that means you clap and shout and run around, you do that too. I want this place to be a sanctuary of God's holy presence. I want Christians to be able to come in this room and feel the presence and power of the spirit of God and the love of God and the power of God and I want people to be able to experience the gifts of the spirit and the life of the spirit and the move of the holy I want all that I want all that I want all that I want you to come in here and I want you to be comforted by Christ but it better lead to us 
then becoming uncomfortable for Christ. Because if we stop at comforted by Christ, we're just a Pentecostal country club. The, the Lees asked me this week, they said, do, can only, someone asked me, can only church members go to small groups? I said, we don't have members. <laughs> country clubs have membership. Woo, Jesus, I feel power of God on me right now. I'll tell you what. Anybody can come to this church. But if, but if we stop at only being comforted by Christ, we'll get comfortable. So then we got to get uncomfortable for Christ. And we got to go, okay, this power, this anointing, this presence, this glory. There's 2.2 million people out there. This is the sixth most unchurched city in America. Most of the people who live in this city are not Christians, are not going to church. And life is short and eternity is long and hell is hot and heaven is awesome. And we've got a mission and I don't want to get so comfortable that we miss out on what God wants to do. Jesus did not save you to give you a cozy life. He saved you so that we could be the light in darkness, a city on a hill, the kingdom of God on the earth. Come on somebody, this is the plan of God for you and for me and for this church and I want to be uncomfortable. I never want to get too comfortable. I never want to get so comforted by Christ that I lose my discomfort for Christ. I'm not here just to be here. That's why the moment you receive Jesus, you didn't get raptured up and go to heaven. The reason you're still here is because lost people are still here. And they go stay lost until the found go find them. Oh, come on, give me an amen, everybody. I'm, I'm trying. And, and let me say this. The, the destiny moment, it's in the stretch. The, the purpose moment is in the stretch. There's this story in, in, in Mark. Uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus goes to a man. He's got a withered hand, the Bible says. And in those days, if you had a withered hand or if you had any kind of sickness, it was considered a curse by God. So he would have no doubt had it covered. So Jesus walks in the temple and he says, give me your hand. And he actually says it like this, stretch forth your hand. Now, you know what? He could have he known what a lot of Americans do in church and go, well, praise God, Pastor Jesus. God bless you. Glory to God. Everything's great. Praise God. Blessed. Highly favored. Glory to God. Loving the worship. Loving this church. Praise God. And we, and we hide our weakness. And he says, stretch forth your hand. And that man did not stretch out his strength. God don't need your strength. He's strong enough. And this church doesn't need your strength. You know what this church needs? This church needs your weakness. It needs your testimony. It needs your life. It needs, it needs your real self. And he stretches out his brokenness and God heals him in the stretch. And I'm just telling you, most miracles happen in the stretch. It's a stretch to tithe. It's a stretch to join a group. It's a stretch to serve. But, but hear me, this is why I'll never apologize to people for serving. Because there's power in your stretch. So I'm never, uh, we get here at 6 a.m. every Sunday morning. I've never looked at this crew and gone, guys, I'm just so sorry that we have to do this. But, you know, it's the only way. And I wish, I wish there was an easier, I don't talk about an easier way. 
because the miracle is actually in the stretch. The miracle is in the alarm going off at 5 a.m. and waking your butt up and getting a coffee and going, I'm going to build God a house. I'm going to build God a sanctuary. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go before the people and help the people and serve the people. And no one will know my name and no one will see me on a stage and no one will know what I did for them. But I set up that chair and I laid down that envelope and I set up that pipe and drape and I hung that screen. And I'll never apologize for it because Jesus didn't offer a cozy life. By the way, men, I'd love to see you next Sunday at 6 a.m. Amen. And I'm not, I'm not a chauvinist. I'm a feminist. Ladies, come on out. Anything a man can do, a woman can do better, smarter, faster, more cost-effective. <laughs> ladies, but, but ladies are smarter. That's why they didn't clap. Because they ain't coming next week. They're like, yeah. they only looked at their husbands like, yeah, you heard him, right? But, not, but you're smart. Like the men are like, yeah, but I won't be there. Ladies like, I ain't going to lie to you. I, I love you. But. I, I said this last week. It just came right out of my spirit. I've never said it before, and I wrote it down. I've been living with it all week. I've been staring at it. I refuse to go to hell with energy. I'm going to heaven tired. I'm going to pour my whole life out for the kingdom. Paul said, end of his life, book of Philippians, I've poured my life out as a drink offering. I'm done. I've given all I can give. I ain't got nothing left. Friend, that's the kind of life I want to live. I don't want to die full. I don't want to die with all this stuff. I want to die giving everything I have to the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, for the building of his church, for lost souls to be saved. Come on. Elevated are the available. Successful are the diligent. Give your life away. Not to a cozy life. Not to a comfortable life. To a life of purpose. Lastly, number, number three. Uh, Jorge, come. Ask God to increase your faith. A- after everything I said, this is, this is your homework. Ask God to increase your faith. Uh, this man walks up to Jesus in um, Mark chapter 9. And he says, if you can heal my son, please heal my son. Because his son needed to be delivered, needed to be healed. Jesus responds, verse 23, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out. And I think this would be our confession because we're all... We're all here, so I think we all believe. He said, I do believe. That's why you're here. You're here because on some level there's some core belief in you that drew you to the house of God on a Sunday morning. I do believe. And this is also us. (laughs) But help me. Help me overcome my tension. Don't we live in that tension? So here's your prayer. God, increase my faith. God, build my faith. Don't don't forget this. Faith is like a muscle. You got to work it out. You got to work it out, friend. 
You got to work it out in the word. You got to work it out in prayer. You got to work it out on, on stepping out of your comfort zone into purpose. You got to work it out. But if you'll work out that faith muscle, God will grow it. And your faith must grow because only faith can change your life. Need does not change your life. There are a lot of people in need. Need doesn't change your life. Faith changes your life. And here's what I want to say. I want to to say this respectfully. People of faith and people of doubt, they deal with the same issues. (laughs) Right? Like we're all real people dealing with real stuff. And yet some people choose to walk by faith and some people choose to always see the negative. I want to be a man of faith. Faith is a choice. And this is what this man asked. He he not only asked, heal my son. He didn't just say, fix my son. He said, fix me. He didn't say, just deliver my son. He said, deliver me from my own unbelief. Don't just set my son free. Set me free. Because it's so easy to just look at the circumstances and blame your life on the circumstances. And most of in this uh, most of us in this room, hear me. Most of us in this room want a better life, but in reality, you need bigger faith. You need more faith, friend. Because before your circumstances ever change, your your faith has got to grow. So for a lot of you, you don't need a better life. You need bigger faith. Numbers 13, um, Moses goes to 12 of his top warriors. Numbers 13, it's in the Old Testament. He says, he says, guys, go spy out the land. We're going to take over this land, the holy land, which is now Israel and Jerusalem. And, and so 10 of them come back. And, and they say, it's terrible. There's giants in the land. And they say this because, and fear and doubt will always over-exaggerate. They said, they said, everyone is big. It's in your Bible. Like the babies are big. Like everyone. Like the dogs are big. Like they go on to say, the earth swallows men whole. Where, where do we, I'm, I've, what are we talking about? Doubt will just over-exaggerate. <laughs> Doubt will, will talk you into a negative narrative of your life. But then these two men come. Well, well they, they, go, they go one step further and they go, We are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Oh, and in their eyes. Because however you see yourself is how the enemy will see you. And they said, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. Oh, and in their sight. Same circumstance, same land, same enemies, same issues, same everything. Two other guys, Caleb and Joshua go, Moses, don't listen to these idiots. Well, maybe they didn't say that. I don't know. But they said, don't listen to these guys. We are well able to take the land 
same circumstance, same issues, same giant, same land, same city. Oh, Vegas is terrible. Oh, Vegas is hot. Oh, Vegas is windy. Oh, Vegas is sinful. Oh, Vegas is dark. Oh, Vegas is heavy. Oh, no one goes to church in Vegas. Ah, nah, nah, nah. We are well able to take the land. Oh, come on, somebody. Stop cursing your city. Stop cursing what God wants to do. Stop over-exaggerating the enemy. This city will eat you up. That's exactly what they said. So on June 28, 2017, I was in a U-Haul, driving down the 15, leaving Orange County, coming to Vegas, all by myself with just me, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Hillsong. And as I was driving, I said, this city won't eat us up. We are not grasshoppers. This city's not going to destroy my family. This city's not going to raise my baby. This city's not going to dictate my culture. We are well able to tell. Oh, can I get some faith in this room? We might be small, but we're mighty. Don't you dare despise the day of small beginnings. We are an army rising. And we didn't come to judge. We came to love. We didn't come to change. We came to serve. My God. We're well able. You're well able. I'm well able. And this little church, this little church in a little school, in a little cafeteria, in a little corner town, I believe we're going to make an impact in this city. I'm well able. You're well able. God, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all, we could ask or think according to the power that works within me. I'm not a grasshopper. Friend, you're not a grasshopper. But you got to ask God to increase your faith. God, build my faith so that this land doesn't swallow me up. So this circumstance doesn't eat me up. So that I don't believe a lie that I'm a grasshopper. God, build my faith. I'm not going to blame my life on anybody else. You have a plan for my life and because God you have a plan for my life and my family and my children and I refuse to let a giant I refuse to let a city I refuse to let an atmosphere and you know why I preach so hard and I'm and I I'm not sorry I was about to say I'm sorry I'm not sorry you want to know why because I have so many friends who have been pastoring churches five ten years and they were so nice and cozy for the first five years because they just wanted people to give. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like Jesus, just I hope you come back. And they look at me now and they go, Jabin, I've, I've had a church for five years. I hate my church. <laughs> Jabin, I've been pastoring this church for 10 years. I don't like my church because my church is entitled. My church don't worship. My church won't come on time. My church doesn't give. Our church doesn't serve. Our church is, and, and they go, and it's my fault because I was trying to build a bigger church instead of bigger faith. And so I'm, I'm only nine weeks in and I know I'm screaming and sweating and hollering and shouting, but I refuse to build a church I don't even like. We're going to build a faith church that says we're able. Come on, we're well able. God can do in this city. I don't know if you know this. Vegas is not a post-Christian city. I don't know if you know this. America is now a post-Christian nation. Vegas is not a post-Christian city. You want to know why? We're still a pre-Christian city. 
Vegas has never had a move of God. We've never had a revival. There's never been an open heaven that's broken loose over an area that has shifted the atmosphere for generations. It's never happened. That's not a judgment on any person because there are so many incredible men. I think of Paul Goulet. I think of Judd Wilhite. I think of so many that have cracked open and have begun starting the journey and have begun starting the travel and begin opening this road. So I honor every great man who has gone before us. But Vegas has still never had a significant breakthrough in the spirit. Maybe, just maybe. And I don't think you want a pastor who thinks he's a grasshopper. So let me talk faith for a second. Let me preach it like I feel it. Because I don't want to get up here going, we just grasshoppers. I just hope somebody gets saved once in a while. No, no, no. We're contending for a move of God. We're contending for an open heaven. We're contending for revival. You know, I want to go to three services. You go, we don't need it. I know we don't need it, but I don't want to be cozy. How are we going to do it? I don't know yet. I don't want to be comfortable because we have two nice services that are full of nice people. Worship is great. People are generous, but I don't want to get cozy. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm done. I got to finish. I could preach for another hour, but we got to tear this whole thing down. Only to set it up tomorrow at Neighbors. Praise the Lord. And I love it, and I love it, and I don't apologize for it. Because Jesus didn't come to give me a cozy life. The highest rates of homelessness is right here. The highest rates of homelessness is right here in our backyard. What are we going to do about it? Preacher, I want to be happy. Then you need something to do. Get off that cozy dream. Get in the mud. Get dirty. <laughs> I, t- I tweeted this the other day. I said, it will always be easier to throw rocks than get in the dirt. Remember that story? The woman's caught in adultery and the bends down. It's the stoner. But Jesus bends down. He goes low and he begins to write in the dirt. I never want to be a stone throwing church. I want to be the messy church. The uncomfortable church. I want to get in the dirt with the people. Because God didn't call us to just have a sweet, nice, cute hour and five minute program. And we'll always have that and and, and I'm proud of it. I'm so proud of our excellence. I'm so proud of our team. Oh, but God, make us uncomfortable. There's an old ancient prayer that says, Disturb us, O Lord. If you're not standing, would you mind standing? And I want to pray. Can you lift up your hands to heaven? Father, in Jesus' name, I'm praying for me. And I'm praying for every friend who would agree. Disturb us, O Lord. Make us uncomfortable. Use us to serve and love this city. 
release a gift of faith on our church that would help bring a move of God. I don't want to be the only church, God forbid. But raise up lighthouses in this city that would change this city for the glory of God Lord we believe help us with our unbelief pray this prayer with me every person in the room say Jesus I believe in you I surrender my life to you I believe you died for me on the cross you were buried you rose from the grave and today I decide and I choose to make you Lord of my life. You're in charge. You're the king. And I submit to you. Forgive me. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name.